You're really living up to your name because it's like JS Party and it's like, you know, you expect dancing, music, booze. Right. You know, with go time, all we're really guaranteeing is it's going to take up some time. And to be <laughs> fair, we deliver on that promise every week. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Get $100 in hosting credit at Linode.com slash Changelog. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Strappy. Strappy is an open source, headless CMS that front-enders love. It's 100% JavaScript, fully customizable, and developer first. Strappy is more than a node framework and more than a headless CMS. It saves API development time through a beautiful admin panel anyone can use. It's open source, it's agnostic. Choose your preferred database and API options using GraphQL or REST. It's self-hosted and GDPR compliant. Control your data, privacy, and cost at all time. It's customizable. Create content structures that flex to fit your needs. Customize the admin panel as well as the API. And extend your content management with custom plugins. To get started, head to the homepage using our special URL, strapi.io slash gsparty. That's S-T-R-A-P-I dot slash gsparty. And click the Get Started button for a step-by-step guide to create a sample app using Create Strapi App. Strapi is also enterprise ready. For those who need to unlock enterprise features and services, email gsparty at strapi.io and connect with Maxine, the resident expert, on guidance and a special offer for gsparty listeners. Again, that's strapi.io slash gsparty. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern, and you can be part of the show. Come hang with us in our community Slack. It's totally free. Head to changelog.com community and sign up today. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Yes, friends, you know, with the sound of those Breakmaster Cylinder beats that it is party time. Once again, I'm Jared. I'm your internet friend, and I'm joined by a few of my friends. Nick Nisi is here. What is up, Nick? Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy to you. And we're also joined by K-Ball. What's up, K-Ball? Hello. I am currently an internet friend, but hopefully someday we'll go back to being friends in person. One day we'll be able to travel. Someday. One of these days. We'll visit all five continents together and do JS parties. On all five continents. Fact check. (laughs) False. We are also joined by an imposter from our sister program over there. He's a gopher, but he secretly likes JavaScript. Shh, don't tell the GoTime listeners. It's Matt Ryer. What's up, Matt? Hello. And I'm I'm we're more of internet acquaintances, aren't we, Jared? Yeah, let's keep it formal. Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries. Boundaries are good. Yeah. And uh, someday hopefully we won't become real friends. Okay. It's a brutal way to find out, but that was fun. You may know Matt from uh, a past episode of JS Party. Matt is actually a Svelte user and came on to talk about how they're using Svelte on Pace.dev. So there you go. Happy to have you, Matt. And today we are going to do a few things, maybe even four things, which is we are going to do our recurring segment, Story of the Week. We are going to do TIL, Today I Learned. 
We're also going to sneak in if we have time, an unpopular opinion segment. And then finally, again, if we have time, shout outs to people doing cool stuff in the industry. So let's do story of the week, shall we? So this is a fun game we play where everybody takes turns sharing what they believe is the most important or the biggest or the most interesting or at least the one that they could find story of the week. And we discuss. Now, we like to have jingles for our segments. And you may remember that Nick came up with this excellent jingle for Pro Tip Time. Pro Tip Time. So. Brilliant. We do not have a story of the week jingle. And what you may not know is that Matt Ryer is actually very musically inclined. He plays the guitar. If you're watching live, you can see some guitars back there. He sings songs. He writes songs. And so, Matt, if I might just really put you on the spot and challenge you, can you please come up for us? A story of the week jingle live on the spot without any yeah. rehearsal. We'd appreciate yeah. that. But it really is no rehearsal because you're saying yeah. it like we've planned this. I know, but I'll yeah. try to set you up for it. Embarrass of yourself. Week. Yeah, story yeah. of the week. Right. Okay. Okay, ready? It's time to take a peek. It's time for the story of the week. Damn. That's actually better than I was expecting, dude. Nice job. Way to play my jingle first, just to give the opposite of that. Well, we wanted to lower the bar and make sure there wasn't too much of expectation. And that was actually completely ad hoc. Matt did not know about that. So nice job, Matt. The first of many surprises that we're going to spring on him today. That's right. (sighs) This does feel increasingly like an ambush. Well, you are our guest, and we like to ambush our guests. No, we like to treat them. So... Uh, Please lead us off as your guest. The very first story of the week, Matt, what'd you bring? Well, I found this very interesting story about Citibank, who, due to um, bad UI design, accidentally sent out $500 million. So, yeah, apparently there was a, a a form in this very complicated old bit of software, and it's not very clear when you look at it, what you should do. And I guess there's no confirmation. And so somebody accidentally paid out. They had loans that they they owed and they accidentally just paid off all the loans to the tune of around uh, half a billion. And apparently in New York, according to New York law, if you make a wire transfer by mistake, then you have to pay it back unless it's to pay off a debt. And that was this case. So there's a uh, the judge found in in against Citibank, so uh, it's ongoing the case. But there you go, seeing the importance of you good UI design. I think it's vital, and this just highlights that. I mean, you you know your websites might not lose five hundred million dollars, um, but it still can be annoying. I saw some screenshots of this UI that had you know a form with approximately thirty checkboxes close next to each other right next to each other was pay the interest versus pay the principal and then apparently they do have a confirmation but it doesn't say anything about what it's confirming just you're going to send some money somewhere do you want to do it <laughs> yeah i see i like optimistic uis if if the operation's easy to undo then i like to be able to just click it like delete i like to be able to click delete and it's gone and then if that was a mistake i can undo it but when you're sending out i mean 500 million dollars it's you pretty know, optimistic. You want, yeah, you want slightly better confirmation, don't you? 
So whose fault was this? I mean, is there any insight onto, you know, the process that created this, the systems in place, or was it just kind of like ongoing story? Because it's easy to just blame like the designer or the developer, right? But surely like there's systemic failures that have allow these things to go out, right? It'll definitely be the fault of the project manager, won't it? (laughs) We would never blame the developers, of course. Um, But no, and and actually um, it went through like three people had to confirm it because it's such a big number that they're dealing with. And they all just, by looking at the UI, they all inferred the wrong thing. They all assumed the wrong thing. And it was apparently a very reasonable thing to assume as well when you you look at what, what they put. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whose fault. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we have to blame, do we? Yeah, we do. It's five hundred million dollars. <laughs> That's right. Someone's <laughs> got to pay for that. Someone's got to be fired, haven't they? <laughs> Pretty much. I wonder if you could, like, as the developer of that program, if you could, like, work knowing that loophole exists, develop towards that loophole. What are they going to do? Fire you? You're five hundred million dollars richer. So <laughs> like a salami attack, but in a, in a UI, UI salami. Mm. It worked on office space, didn't it? I mean, he ended up on a beach somewhere with you know, a bunch of money. and uh, Yeah, and Gus Gorman from Superman 3 was also able to, uh, it wasn't a UI thing, but he was able to scrape the pennies, wasn't he? And got himself a lovely little sports car, if I remember correctly. That's right. I only know of that reference through office space. <laughs> oh, really? Oh. Recently ran into a similar kind of issue. My dad was trying to get signed up for his COVID vaccine. And he Mm. had recently had a shingles vaccine. And there has to be some sort of gap between when you have one and the other. Mm. And whoever the programmer was had developed it. So not only could you not schedule an appointment within that gap, you couldn't even do the scheduling within that gap. So he had to wait till the shingles gap was over to get in line for the COVID vaccine. Brilliantly stupid. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when you think of tech that's working in such important areas and you know then like little mistakes like that which are very easy to make aren't they when you're a programmer or even just a dev team when when you say you can't you can't schedule this in this time i i I would probably think that's probably an easy fix that they did at the time and it just turns out you know that's the importance of testing isn't it i suppose you should really test your bits also knowing kind of the app as a whole or the the purpose of what you're trying to do as a whole because like when you dive down into those micro requirements, like it all makes sense. But then when you start combining them together, then it just kind of goes awry because it doesn't, it may not fit with either the actual goal that you're trying to do or how people will, will actually use it. Because when they're all put together, nobody really thought about how things will, will go. It kind of reminds me of a, a similar story with either, it's either Venmo or like cash app and like sending money and requesting money look the same in the UI. So people would just be like requesting money and people who got those requests for like $500 would be like, Oh, somebody's sending me $500 except, and they were actually <laughs> sending them $500 or whatever. Yeah. Wow. design. Mm. It reminds me of the original Ethereum blockchain, which was pure insofar as it was immutable. You could never make a change to it. And that was part of the system. Like the code is the contract was kind of the motto. And, that was all well and good until they got hacked. And I can't remember the exact details of how somebody made off with a whole, I mean, millions of dollars in uh, cryptocurrencies. And the entire Ethereum ecosystem, actually they divided in half over this. That's why there's Ethereum Classic and then like the one now. They basically decided like, that whole immutable code is the contract thing. Yeah, let's throw that out and fix this bug. There's so many 
things like that in the crypto space where it's like we can replace everything with the assumption that once it's in code, it's infallible. Forgetting that, no, wait, actually humans have to write that code. Right. And humans create bugs. Right. What we do is we, we, we make our bugs immutable as we put them into an immutable system. So, yeah, when money is involved and life or death is involved, uh, things need to be taken more seriously than kind of the typical web developer mindset, right? Yeah. I had a manager once who said in my performance review said, we don't want to have any code that's got any errors in it. That was the thing. So were they um, firing you when they said that? No, no. <laughs> it was leading up to it. Yeah. <laughs> my position was like, they didn't want any bugs in the code, obviously. Right. But yeah, I don't know. There seemed to be this idea and in Go in particular, like, cause Go doesn't have, I'm not going to talk about Go on the JS party. Website well, we're going to edit this part out anyway. Yeah, sure. Well, the error handling is explicit. It's just another value that you can return from functions and things. So error handling is something you do, you, you put a lot of thought into because it's kind of something you explicitly handle all the time. So there's a lot of talk about errors and things. And I think, you know, he was just tired of hearing about errors and wanted to hear about features instead. So that was it. That was one of my KPIs was, f- you know, fewer errors in the computers. Just wanted you to get up and go. Yeah. Just tell him I want a toilet made out of solid gold, but it's not in the carts, you know. <laughs> yeah. Here's your Austin Powers reference for the day. Not solid gold. No. Just get gold plated because the solid one, it's actually, you know, quite soft metal. Malleable. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And especially if you're on there for a while, you know, it's going to take, get warm. Once it's warmer, you know what I mean? You're in trouble. I'm just saying, but. You've put a lot of thought into this. All right. Well, let's move on because Matt's trying to make this the longest story of the week entry. It, we don't vote on longest. We vote on biggest or most important. So okay. it's not going to work, Matt. K-Ball, what do you have for story of the week? Something that is not going to win biggest or most important. Uh, <laughs> okay. However, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, so I recently saw a release announcement for a JavaScript framework called Blitz.js. And what made it interesting to me is not the framework itself, which looks like, you know, another take on trying to do kind of an all-inclusive JavaScript framework, kind of similar to what Redwood tries to do, things like that. But what made it interesting is that they are touting that they're built on top of Next.js. So we've had this trend for a while where, okay, React and Vue and these frameworks, they've become a base layer, and then people are building these higher-level frameworks on top of them, like Next and Nuxt and Redwood and whatever. This is the first time I've seen someone explicitly going yet another layer and saying, okay, that first layer of additional abstraction, configuration, et cetera, that's good, but that's not good enough. We're going to go even further. And it made me wonder. I mean, this is a common pattern in the tech industry, right? You build an abstraction. Once it gets solid enough, you build another abstraction on top of it. Once it gets solid enough, you build another one on top of it. So I'm wondering if this is an outlier or if that's the phase we're in now where we're we're actually going up yet one more layer in the JavaScript framework space. I think the key phrase there was once it gets solid enough. And I just wonder if, you know, things are so moving and at a certain point, you know, on the Jenga when you're playing Jenga, like the top of the Jenga is just gets so uh, wobbly because it's built on these layers that have lost some of their footing. So yes, we always want to be adding new layers on top because that brings functionality to more and more people, which is the goal. But it's definitely a challenge to do that. I don't know. Next.js feels pretty high level, but is this where they start calling things meta frameworks? Like it's not a framework, it's a meta framework. I already call Next a meta framework, right? So this is a meta meta framework. Yeah. 
Well, we uh, have had uh, Blitz's creator on JS Party last year, I believe. So we did speak Blitz. If anybody wants to go deep on that, it was just me, myself and Brandon talking about Blitz. So if you want a full conversation about that, uh, the episode is called Blitz Puts Rails on JavaScript. Blitz Puts React on Rails, uh, episode 133. So go listen to that. But Interesting. Curious what Matt or Nick says about Cable's question there. Yeah, it's interesting that it, I mean, that we're seeing these and a lot of them tend to be built on top of React. Like Next is, obviously, and then Redwood is too, right? Like the, the view yes. framework built, of that is React. It's built on React, yeah. Yep. So it's kind of further cementing something that, that Lori Voss said on JS Party a few years ago now, that like React may just end up becoming part of the, not necessarily part of the language yet, but just it's it's just expected in the ecosystem in all of these frameworks and maybe future frameworks will just, it'll just be implied that it's React, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Hence that. Ooh, you're <laughs> queuing up my later unpopular opinion. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Warm it I, up. I added and sad to that, so. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, you wonder, we, we used to have this conversation around jQuery. Uh, React is, in a way has, at least is getting to the point of jQuery's ubiquity, not really much else in similarity, but what happened with jQuery wasn't that like everything eventually became built on top of it. It's like that jQuery became somewhat built into browsers. And so you wonder if React-esque thing, I mean, then you can go back to web components, right? But like how much of React will just get into the platform so that we can not have to rely upon a library, but just use some of those as primitives and build different things from there. Yeah, that's something that's quite exciting for me is seeing all the innovation that's happening in browsers. I mean, some of the APIs that you have now, some of the things that you can do, I find them, like Web Components is an interesting example. I find that to all be amazing. So is Blitz.js, is that like a server-side thing as well? Is it kind of a, a back-end and a front-end thing? Yeah, so Next.js is hybrid. So you can do all pre-rendered uh, stuff, similar to like a Gatsby would do. And you can also have some server-side functionality with Next. And so they can call themselves a hybrid framework uh, where it's kind of pre-rendered by default but also has server-side hooks to do different things. And then Blitz tries to flesh that out, I think, in a way that's akin to what Redwood is doing, which is to kind of give you a full stack, but kind of Jamstack first approach at applications. That's for, that's going from memory, by the way. So I could it's be... It's got massive potential, hasn't it? Something like that. Because if you could kind of do away with because there's a lot of th things you have to worry about when you're working in those two different arenas and if you could through it a good abstraction do away with that and i liked rails i used to be a rails developer actually um some of the things like uh, convention over configuration i think things like that mm -hmm. go also has sensible defaults uh, so by default things will kind of basically do what you want them to do and then you kind of configure them from there um and so those kinds of ideas, I think, are, are really quite nice, especially for people that are new and just want to get something built, you know. Absolutely. Well, let's do our last story of the week. This one's mine, although I didn't write it. I just found it. It's a very cool thing coming up from the V8 team. I didn't and write my one about Citibank. Oh, you didn't? I thought you were reporting. Yeah, I didn't know that where was to, it. yeah. <laughs> that wasn't your, and Cable actually wrote Blitz.js, so it's really interesting. <laughs> 
yeah. for this show. That's why he was surprised when I said we had the creator on the show because he just didn't remember <laughs> being a guest. Um, <laughs> this was from the V8 team, specifically written by Victor Gomes. The frame shredder, is that what he calls himself? He does. So mm. on this piece, which I'll link in the show notes, he calls himself Victor Gomes the frame shredder, which is a pretty sweet moniker if you ask me. If self-proclaimed, maybe somebody gave him that. But his post is called Faster JavaScript Calls, and he's detailing some amazing work that he and the V8 team have done to make function calls in V8 quite a bit faster. I'm trying to pull up the numbers here. So when they're able to pull this off, they have uh, 11% performance improvement in JITless mode uh, when you do not have a just-in-time compiler. And when using TurboFan, which I did not click through on TurboFan to see what it is, TurboFan is one of V8's optimizing compilers leverage in a comp called Sea of Nodes. I'm just reading this off the website. So this is like another level of um, performance improvements that V8 can do. They get up to 40% speed up doing this interesting trick. And I'll just read a little bit from it because he explains it pretty well. He writes that JavaScript allows calling a function with a different number of arguments than the expected number of parameters, as in one can pass fewer or more arguments than the declared formal parameters. The former case is called under-application, and the latter is called over-application. So this is a feature of JavaScript that allows you to do this. And he says, in the under-application case, the remaining parameters get assigned the undefined value. In the over-application case, the remaining arguments can be accessed by using the rest parameter and the arguments property, which is the arguments keyword. Or they are simply superfluous and they can be ignored. So lots of cases, like they, they don't really matter. And uh, V8 has like this special machinery in place to deal with this argument size mismatch. So if you're, if you're passing in the wrong number of arguments, either too many or too little, there's like this whole dance that V8 has to do in order to handle that. And this performance improvement that they were managed to do basically just optimizes that case. And they do it by reversing the arguments. And he goes through in the blog post details on how they're like changing the way things get put on the stack and off the stack. It's way over my head or way underneath in terms of its depth for me to completely understand. But it's really awesome work and something that I just love when lower level things get improved and just everybody in the world benefits because like that's like the power of leverage right in software development like you can do this tiny little thing which was a lot of work for them but at the end of the day the change they made i think is in code probably minuscule compared to like the entirety of the v8 code base um, and it can just squeeze out performance for everybody who uses v8 all around the world it's pretty cool yeah. So that case you mentioned, is that would it only work if there's the wrong or a different number of arguments? Or is it like the check that it has to do that was expensive? How often do you send the wrong number of arguments to a function in JavaScript? Well, we're talking JavaScript developers, right? So. <laughs> I was going to say, I never do. But, but that's because my code's always perfect. I don't know. It's because you yeah. use TypeScript, so you know exactly how many. Mm. I actually think it's... <laughs> It's not too uncommon of a case to have like a rest parameter, right? Mm-hmm. Right, or instead of framing it as accidental, the wrong number of arguments. There's there's two versions. One is optional arguments, and the other is variable numbers of arguments, right? So right. this is the mechanism by which both of those are implemented within JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Which doesn't scale very well, but it's a feature that's been there for a very long time. Lots of people, when you have optional number of arguments, they'll just pass an object, right? And you can set defaults. There's better stuff you can do. I think use of arguments as a keyword or as a, you know, I think it's a keyword inside of a function, uh, which represents that and returns you a list is not something that I use very often and maybe some library authors have to deal with in order to provide a, a nice API to some of their functions. But I think in many cases, uh, that pattern has been replaced by objects in terms of optional arguments or variable arity, basically. Yeah, and I don't even think arguments exist anymore in things like arrow functions. Huh. Oh, really? So Matt's question stands, though, is it, Improving all function calls are only ones. And I guess, is it the check that it improves it? I don't know the answer to that, Matt. Is it the check that improves the speed, or is it the process once you get into that, right, that deals with it? I don't know. I have to grok the blog post better than I did to answer that one. One of the things that he highlights at the end of the post is that while this may not be super common in user space code, the feature was used often in, in web frameworks to create more flexible APIs. So there yeah. there's another example where you know, because some of the libraries or frameworks that almost everyone is using utilize this feature, even if it's relatively obscure for some people, it is actually showing up in a lot of code. Yeah, and people like the frame shredder, um, they really measure that, you know, when they're doing optimizations like this, they're really measuring this stuff. They, often it's very data-driven, so uh, yeah, they probably wouldn't waste their time if it's not going to have a big benefit and you know you just imagine that that you, your job just the thing you do <laughs> makes javascript a bit better and then the whole world or the whole of the internet <laughs> it just right. gets a bit better that must be quite good for job satisfaction don't you think 100 i think if you want to maximize impact one of the things you can do is go work for a large b2c platform like you could work for a twitter or a facebook if you want to maximize effect, right? Like I'm going to affect the most people this way, something with a lot of users. The other way you can do it is go the other direction and work on the platforms that people create the apps with, right? Like you could work on Apple's Swift and what's the name of their frameworks? I'm forgetting because I haven't done Apple stuff in a long time. Coco? That's old. Swift UI, but what's the name of their iOS SDK? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Apple stuff. It's not um, open source though, but no, I'm saying you can go work on it. You can still oh, work right, on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can still have okay. a large impact, right? Like everybody who builds on Apple's platforms is going to be impacted by that work. Yeah. But the web, you know, is the most impactful platform I think you could possibly work on, to your point, Matt. And working on the things that we build on top of is like a huge job satisfaction, I would think. Yeah. Could you just resign to calling V8 the web, <laughs> as in the JavaScript engine? <sighs> No, I didn't mean to, but <laughs> you kind of did. Uh, I mean, I think it really depends on what you find satisfactory, right? So, like, yeah. same thing can be said for like working deep in operations inside of a Google or an Amazon or something mm -hmm. like that, right? Like, mm -hmm. you, you spend all of your time finding these essentially micro optimizations, right? Things where you're saving a few percent overall here and there. And in this case, it's a large percent on a particular thing, which is actually a relatively small percent of any sort of overall runtime. Um, so you find these micro optimizations and then you scale them out over the fact that you're running this on however many billion copies or machines or what have you. And I agree that doing it you know, for something like Chrome V8, what have you is one of the widest scale outs you're going to see on that. 
but I don't know. For me, that's actually not very satisfying because it's focusing on these little tiny little pieces and you have to scale it out. Like the, the actual impact on any one individual is very small and it's having massive overall impact. You're probably saving you know, hundreds and thousands of CPU hours and yada yada spread out across the entire world, but no individual is likely to notice the difference. And I prefer to swing the other way where there's a set of individuals for whom the work that I'm doing is extremely impactful, even if that set of individuals is smaller. So you'd rather make a few people very happy rather than loads of people a little bit happy. I mean, ideally, I'd make many people very happy, but I'm going to I'm going to start at the first part of that, right? Because mm-hmm. and and this is one of the reasons I'm kind of a startup small company guy for a long time is like you start with make figuring out something that makes at least a subset of people very happy, and then you try to grow, uh, gradually expand the set of people that it's applicable to. But even if you're only making a percent of a percent of web users happy with some optimization, that's still potentially millions of people. I'm going to make a percent. Of he doesn't percent care. Of people Cable doesn't happy. care. <laughs> well, th- here's the thing. Like, I think these these tiny improvements aren't actually like over time they add up. Absolutely, but like you need 20 frame shredders to make something that ends up being user visible. I think it's just two different views of the world, and both have big impact. But what do you like to do, and what do you care about? Maybe you you like to see that impact big time in small number of people's lives, or maybe you like to think about the fact that I just made this one patch to this one project. And even in the most minuscule ways possible, I've touched millions of lives. So it's kind of just a perspective thing. I, I definitely appreciate that your perspective, K-Ball, being represented, because I do tend to think of like the person who makes Ruby faster, and then like look what that leverage does. But that's just because I've never worked on those kind of things. Maybe I have a little bit of envy of like, man, I wish I could reach that many people with that small of a change, because I just never have. See, and I'm going the opposite way. I'm aspiring to be the next left pad. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Dev Discuss podcast, an original show by the team behind Dev.to. The show is hosted by Dev co-founders Ben Halpern and Jess Lee. Ben has been on the Changelog podcast before, talking about their decision to go open source with a dev platform now called Forum. The Dev Discuss podcast brings on notable industry guests to discuss trends and timeless software topics to help developers succeed within their teams and grow. Here's a clip from season two. When you deploy you know, Node.js code, it can, doesn't matter if it's ARM or x86 underneath of it when it's serverless. AWS could probably move, you know, their fleet of Lambda services to ARM and very few customers will be affected. And not to say nobody, but very, very few customers will be affected by that kind of migration on Lambda. Whereas if they were to try that migration on Fargate or EC2, it's a much bigger and more complex migration for those customers. And, you know, here is them, you know, building something in a way that, you know, they may see as more productive or more traditional, but it is actually, you know, more locked in, in a way. All right. Search for Dev Discuss, all one word in your podcast player, subscribe and skim the backlog for an episode that jumps out to you. Again, search Dev Discuss anywhere you listen to podcasts. All 
All right, we are now ready to share things that we have learned recently. This is our Today I Learned segment, or TIL. And we have an awesome jingle for TIL. Wait, no, we don't. <laughs> but we would love if Matt could provide one on the spot. Matt. Since you did so well on the previous one. Please give us a royalty-free TIL yeah. jingle. Royalty-free? Yes. Okay. Uh I learned. Yeah? I mean, I didn't, I didn't know where that was going, but is that all right? <laughs> it, didn't, it started great, and it ended great. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't very long, so there wasn't much of a middle. That's right. So yeah. all around. High marks. Great. No, please. The only problem with it is that the segment is called TIL, which you didn't oh. even say. So Okay. I've got time. I'll do another one. Maybe we'll do a reverse royalty, and every time we play it, you have to give us a nickel. T I L L. Oh, I could do with a word that rhymes with L. Could anyone fell. think of a? Eh? Like I fell. Going to hell. I fell. Going to hell. <laughs> I'm gonna under my spell. That's it. Rock and roll. Brilliant. That's the winner. Cool. Cool. Now right, you learn the reason. him on every week? <laughs> now you learn why we brought you on, because we just really needed jingles. <laughs> this is, are you really living up to your name? Because it's like JS Party, and it's like, you know, you expect dancing, music, booze. Right. You know, with go time, all we're really guaranteeing is it's going to take up some time. And to be fair, we deliver on that promise every week. That's right. You're talking about go, so I dance every week. I'm on. Yeah, I saw you dancing earlier, mate. Actually, I was impressed. That's why you're welcome here. Well, if uh, if Go Time and JS Party had hair, uh, JS Party would be a blonde, and Go Time would be a brunette. What can I say? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, blondes had more fun. You lost me too, Jared. I'm triggered by the mention of having hair. <laughs> if I'm honest. You guys don't know the old saying: blondes had more fun. Come on. Oh. It's a terrible stereotype about people based on the color of their hair. But <laughs> you turns out when it, it plays into your favor Jared, when you're the, Jared, when, you're the one. when your foot gets far enough in your mouth, <laughs> you want to start like pulling it out rather than continuing to swallow. You're saying that because you're brunette, Cable. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Edit break right here. T-I-L. Nick, hit us up. You've learned lots of things. I heard there might be even more than one that you might be sharing, so please do. All right. Well, uh, this is something that I actually learned yesterday and I used yesterday, which is pretty awesome. And have you heard of this cool thing called optional chaining? It's a new operator in JavaScript. I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it goes question mark dot. And it's really cool because then mm -hmm. you can say, like, I want to get to, you know, foo question mark dot bar. And if that exists, I get the value of bar. But if it doesn't, I just get undefined. Did you know, and today I learned, that you can use that for calling a method as well. So instead of saying like foo and and foo with parentheses to call it, right. you can just say foo question mark dot parentheses and call it. And if it doesn't exist, it won't call it. Yeah, that makes sense. I did not know that. Because methods are properties in JavaScript, right? They're yeah. just living on those objects. Yeah. It's amazing. That's cool. So cool. I can't wait to see how it goes over in code review. 
<laughs> that is cool. Now, how many times can you do that in a row? Like, can you just nest and nest and, and just keep on going? Is there a... Well, it depends on, I would imagine, if your function is returning an object itself that's going to have a method on it, right? Because it's still using the same question of, does this property exist on this object? But in that case, the property is a method. Yeah. So in like a jQuery style uh, API, you could use it indefinitely. You could question mark dot to your heart's content. That sounds fun. That sounds like a good way of taking back that new optimization they put in V8, just wiping it out. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you saved us 40%. I'm going to cost us infinite percent. Anything else you learned recently, Nick? Yes. I have been playing around with SSH tunneling. And it's really simple, and I don't really have a clear goal with it, other than I was trying to... I, I run a lot of Docker containers, which means my fans spin up a lot. Mm. And I was like, I wonder if I could just like have a machine running those Docker containers, but let it be pretend like it's just my machine. And I could totally do that to an extent with SSH tunneling. So I could just SSH into that machine and local forward all of the ports that I need, like localhost 3000. Anytime I try and hit localhost colon 3000 on my machine, actually go hit localhost or go hit 3000 on the machine that I'm SSHing into, which is really cool. And right. you can do it the opposite way too, where you could expose your local machine globally. But I'm scared to do that right now. I don't really have a use case. Make sure you do that on purpose. Yeah. But it's really cool that you can do that. And it's like one line to set up or you can put, add it to your SSH config so that every time I SSH into that machine, I can just have it automatically forward those ports and everything is immediately set up. And then when I disconnect, it's all taken down. Right. Easy peasy. That is cool. Here's a use case for that, which I used to do quite often, is if you have a an admin tool, like a GUI that connects to like a database, and yeah. you want to connect to a remote database, but you do not want to expose that port remotely, of course, because you do not want your database to be exposed to the world. And if your tool does not have tunneling built in, which a lot of them nowadays will have tunneling built into the connection inside the tool, but if they don't, they just have regular SSH connections. You can, or not regular SSH connections, regular uh, direct database connections. You can port for, or you can basically tunnel to that remote machine, expose it just locally through the SSH tunnel, and then connect directly with the database client. Pretty nifty. And are you going for the trifecta, or should we pass it on to Cable? I got one more. I could do it. Let's do it. All right. I've been playing around with template literal types in TypeScript 4.2, uh, 4.1, and they're a new type. It's using template literals like how you'd use them normally in JavaScript, but you can use that to dynamically build types, specifically like string literal types, where you can say that this this value can be the string uh, Jared or Kball, and if it's anything other than that, you get a type error. Well, you can dynamically create that. So I could have like a list of all of the guests on JS Party and then create a type, meaning that, you know, this, the current speaker is one of these three types and it's, you know, Matt, Jared, or Cable. And combining that with the ability to import only types where you just say import type and it's just a regular import statement after that. But it, when it goes to build, it won't actually like have a, a binding to that library. So it's only importing the values to be used as types in your local code so that you won't accidentally like massively increase your bundle size. Uh, and the ability to call recursive types. So putting three things together. So putting all of those together, you can create some really cool combinations of 
dynamic types. And the specific one that I've been playing around with is for all of our internationalization, we have this massive JSON file and it's nested. So you can have like, you know, this page is, you know, the account preferences and that is an object that contains sub keys and there might be sub keys in there, but they all end up be, becoming a string at some point. And that's your, your English translation of whatever. And then you can have a French file, a Chinese file, all of those. And the way we reference that through by using React IET Next is by using dot notation. So I can say like account preferences dot title to get that. But that's just a string in my code. But using recursive types and template literal types and using import type to import the the shape of the JSON file, I can then create a dynamic type that is the dot notation. So I can just get an array back or a, an, a union type back of all of the possible combinations of combining like account preferences dot title or account preferences dot sub page dot title or whatever. And it'll all be perfectly typed, which is really cool. I feel like you need to write this up. I was trying <laughs> to hold that all in my head as you were saying it. Yeah. And completely and utterly failed. I think I followed you, but I couldn't repeat it back. So probably didn't follow. <laughs> I'll put in a, uh, a TypeScript playground link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I will get around to writing something up for sure. Yeah, I feel like you just proved that typing in TypeScript is turn complete. <laughs> it is. Wow. What's TypeScript again? Just kidding. K-Ball, hit us up with a TIL. All right. Today, last week, something like that, I learned that you can embed SVG filters inside CSS filters. So... CSS has a filter property that you can put on images. It is cool, but not as powerful, well, powerful in general as SVG's filtering capabilities. And so used to be, okay, I've got an image. I want to filter it more than I can do with CSS. I need to actually embed it inside an SVG. But it turns out you can flip that around and embed your SVG filter in the CSS filter property and just reference it there. So I think that's super cool. I think huh. I'm a long time huge fan of SVGs, but they do have this pain point of like, it's hard to get them to interact with the rest of your HTML unless you embed it straight in the page and yada, yada, yada. But here mm -hmm. you can put it in your CSS and get all that power just out of the box. That's great. Yeah, that's cool. Link us up. More info on that for the show notes, please. Sir, Matt, how about yourself? What have you learned today and or recently? Yeah, well, it was today, actually. I think I'm the only one that's really respected this segment in, in that way. The, yeah, you win. Uh, yeah, I tell you what, I mentioned earlier these the, the APIs now in browsers, and this might be old news to um, people that do a lot more JavaScript than I do. But there's things like there's a WebAuthn API that lets you use the fingerprint or face ID stuff, you know, in your JavaScript code for authentication, things like this which I just think is, I mean, it's kind of what you need, isn't it? It's what you expect. But you see, when I started doing this, everything was sandboxed so tightly, you know, the, the worlds were so different. The JavaScript world was just so different. You couldn't, you didn't really interact much with the device at all. And increasingly, as they open all these APIs, I think we're just going to see more and more kind of powerful things being built. And I kind of love seeing that. I'm amazed. I remember when I first discovered about local storage and there's index DB in the browser. You know, it is kind of amazing to see that. But yeah, so I learned that. That's what I TIL'd today 
was uh, that you can you can use fingerprint auth in your JavaScript. That is awesome. You can access sensors as well on the device. GPS coordinates, uh, I guess, have been around a while. But also like things like the battery. Uh, you can find out how, you know. So maybe don't do some things. Don't turn off animations if the user's battery's low or something, mm-hmm. you know. Be a nice citizen for them. You know, I don't know. It's good, isn't it? It's like a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. And the fact that you learned it today means you really respect my authority, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which I also appreciate. Yeah. I feel like I'm having dinner with Saddam Hussein and I'm really <laughs> nervous about upsetting him. <laughs> I've never had dinner with Saddam Hussein or any dictator. Actually. You're to back that one off. Yeah. You haven't had no, dinner I'm... with Jared yet. You mentioned any dictator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I've never oh, that's right. Him. Internet acquaintances. Yeah. Remember, I already said, hopefully we'll never have dinner. Didn't I say that earlier on the show? Hopefully we'll never meet. Jared's not so bad over dinner. Or lunch, I guess, is what we shared. But What did you have? We did. Lunch. He just told you. Yeah. What, what specifically? Food. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> See what I mean? Like, I'm nervous now. <laughs> Don't want to upset the king. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Air and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify issues across web and mobile apps, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to Raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, Raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. Well, we are back. And did you know that GoTime has a regular slot called Unpopular Opinion? You may have known that because we've stolen that slot once before and did better Unpopular Opinions than they generally come up with. But we actually have the man, the myth, the legend. Matt Ryer sings the jingle for that. He went in studio. He produced it. It took weeks, didn't it, Matt? And really put a lot of effort into it. But today we're going to have the live acoustic version of the unpopular opinion theme song for you this is a special treat folks let's listen to it One thing I've noticed as the producer of go time is that you like to queue up other people's unpopular opinions but you rarely turn the spotlight back on yourself and share your own thoughts. I feel like it's kind of a, a cowardly move, to be honest. But now here you are, you're the guest, and you've obviously shown you had the bravado to rock and roll a theme song. Can you share with us an unpopular opinion? Yes, I can. And, and it's about JavaScript, too. So 
Okay, let's hear it. I think there's too much stuff in JavaScript. When I write JavaScript, I use a tiny little subset of the things you can do, really tiny, and I try and shrink that as small as possible. And I feel like that improves readability, you know, it improves... Uh, I don't have to learn all the new features because there are there's lots of kind of really cool stuff. I mean the the question mark dot thing. I I loved I love that. I'm definitely going to be using that one. That's extremely useful. But I try and um, use just a really small little. I almost have like a subset of JavaScript that I use. Um, could almost have its own name. But yeah, that's my unpopular opinion. I think JavaScript has too many language features. Hmm. Um, sh- should be smaller. What do you think of that? Well, what do you think about food options? Do you feel like there's too many choices of what you might eat out there in the world? And you'd prefer well, if there were less? Or would you like to just select the subset of food options that you appreciate and use those? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, like if you go to a restaurant, nice restaurants only give you a small menu, don't they? But you right. also have the option of restaurant. So that's kind of a subset of a subset in that case. I got no problem with that. That's their view of the world. Like that's their little particular. You can have its own name, like its own little math yeah, script. But if you're collaborating, though, if we're writing open source things, there's a benefit to having, you know, not all those features used in a language. There's a benefit that you get when you can, like, look at the code and you know immediately what it is. With all the language features that you could use, that's a steeper learning curve. That's just a simple kind of uh, numbers game, really, there. So I feel like there's a benefit always to smaller and simpler. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to have a go at anyone if they're using complicated things. Although, if if I'm in charge of reviewing the pull request, one of the things I'll say is, that's re- that is really clever, well done. Can you just write it in a really verbose, boring way, please, so that I can read it? Sounds like you're going to decline your own pull request with the, the question mark dot function call. <laughs> well, yeah, but that, I don't know, that, that is cool. He likes enough, that isn't one. It? We've needed that. We've needed that for a long time. Because I still have code that's like, if this and this, you know, uh, or using the tertiary operator to try and right. find out if I'm going to show something. And I'm surprised, like, Svelte, I use a lot, Svelte a lot. I was quite surprised that they haven't solves that actually because because it's all processed at compile time so they do have an opportunity to they could have implemented that frankly quite easily um maybe they knew about the question mark dot thing that was coming but yeah i mean it's it's a very common case to say you know in dynamic languages and with dynamic data to say if this field is here then let's do so let's show it and if not we'll use a different field or uh, or we won't show it or something like that um yeah, I feel like I, I, I'm actually a fan of that question mark dot thing. Although it is weird that you you, you use the dot when you're calling a method. Mm-hmm. I always expect it to just be the question mark and then brackets, parentheses, but too late. There might be some backwards compatibility reason why that couldn't be the case. Mm. So you, you said that you would prefer to only use a smaller subset of JavaScript. Uh, could you name that? Like, could you give a name to that? And or go.js. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how would you enforce that? Yeah, well, I don't know about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could do linter. You could you could actually have a compiler that um, only understood a subset of JavaScript. 
you could do away with older patterns and things or older language features that you don't want to support. You know, there's projects that do this kind of thing sometimes, but I don't know really exactly what it is. But, you know, it's just really like when, when junior devs come to a project, if it's trivial for them to get going, I feel like that's kind of a good property to have in a project. Like it's a... Mm -hmm. Sure. Isn't that what Linter provides though? I mean, like, or a style guide, like ESLint or and or style guide. Doesn't that provide that guide rails? This is the kind of thing that some languages do it in the language. Some languages do it by adoption. Some languages have it, you know, like Perl is infamous for Tim Towdy, right? There's more than one way to do it. You do it however you want. You Mm -hmm. live you, you do you, and you have write-only code. And then Python, which is a similarly flexible language, has the Python way. And there's a a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And those are both kind of pervasive throughout the communities. And I feel like JavaScript, it's very fragmented. There's some parts of the JavaScript world that are much, very much in the Perl camp. Do what you want to do, write it however you want to write it, however. And then there are subsets of the communities where they have very tight linting, they have various other things to assert a subset mm. of the language. Or a superset. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they all agree with me. Subset. <laughs> Nick is just trying to turn this into a TypeScript conversation. Let's cut it <laughs> off before he succeeds. <laughs> And let's uh, move to the next unpopular opinion. TypeScript is great. They they give you two different languages to mess up in, right? You can less mess up in the typing language and you can mess up in the actual code. They have three. You can do that or you can mess up in your js.comments because you don't want to write real TypeScript. Oh, wait, did I already give my unpopular opinion? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go with it? <laughs> well, feel free to reiterate it. Or if that was it, we can just go to K-Ball. <laughs> No, that wasn't actually mine. Go ahead, Cable. Oh, uh, my unpopular opinion is that it really doesn't matter at all which JavaScript framework you're using, whether you're using React or Vue or Svelte or even Angular or Ember or vanilla JavaScript or what have you. They're all tools. They make some things easier. They make some things harder. What really matters is that you pick something consistent across your entire team and that you're all working within that and being consistent within that. Um, I have worked in mixed code bases where this team picked this thing and that team picked that thing and that sucks. Uh, But if you're consistent within your team and your code base, I don't really think it matters at all which framework you're using. I like that one. Yeah, that's not unpopular with me. I quite like that. And I'd go as far as saying whatever makes you productive, whatever you can get to the product quicker. Like we do argue a lot and we we care about it so you understand why but um yeah often that it gets into like right and wrong and people are kind of have these these sort of fundamental ideas about things that are fighting and in practice it's rarely about right and wrong it's it's about taste and trend i mean you know tailwind is a great example of um, we're almost going back to, do you remember we used to put the styles in the style attribute and then mm-hmm. we, we were like, oh, that's terrible. Never, you know, <laughs> you're repeating all the styles everywhere. We're not going to do that. And Tailwind kind of takes a step back in that direction. Um, and because it's now we have components, it's not, it's not as big a deal as it was before. Um, but, but yeah, it does seem to be like quite trendy and, and it's worth remembering that when you really love and care about something. It's worth remembering we are kind of a, just in a sort of zeitgeist at the moment. And so chill out a bit, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Chill out, JS. Chill out, JS. Project. 
The only problem with not being able to switch your current framework is you can't write your blog post about how you're switching frameworks. Mm. I mean, so what are you going to write about? <laughs> exactly, that's the problem. You're going to write about how you rewrote your blog platform. <laughs> Those are the two blog posts that we write as as developers. We write the one where we rewrote our blog platform, and we write the other one where we switched from one thing to the other. That's pretty yeah. much it in a nutshell. Yeah. All right, Nick, your turn. Yeah, so I probably should have gone uh, after you, Matt, because this does kind of tie into yours a little bit uh, now that I think about it. And that's, I think the ESLint is out of control, and it's just kind of ridiculous. There, there are some good rules to have in there and linting overall is pretty good but then i just look at all of the rules that are added like to to the main project i work on and it is so constraining and for no good reason because i just end up writing the eslint disable next line comment above it and Mm. every time i run across like an issue like this like using that optional chaining to call a method uh, like, like I mentioned in the first segment uh-huh. that is disallowed by my ESLint. And if I just did like the foo and, and like the long form of that, where I just check to see if that value exists before calling it, that's also disabled for the same rule. And they're just, ESLint rules are out of control. They don't actually help beyond a certain limit. Like there's de- definitely diminishing returns with that. And they completely slow down your editor because it has to chug through all of those rules and process everything. So stick to something a little more, I, don't, I won't say standard, like standard is good, but like stick to some standard small rules and don't just go crazy thinking that, you know, on, on every, every Friday, the values have to be ending in a, a Y or something. I don't know. Just <laughs> don't put the silly rules in there. And you can configure ESLint, right? You can configure everything about it. Right. I disable it. Yeah, Go has this thing called Go Fumped. Here we go. Um, oh, I know, but come on. This is something that could be valuable, I think, for the JS community. Um, go Fumped doesn't give you any options at all. It's very opinionated. That's it. You just have to use it. It sorts out your tabs. It makes you use tabs. <laughs> and the code formatting is done. Uh, it's very opinionated. And what that means is, a lot of Go code, I mean, all Go code looks very familiar. Of course, there's still ways you can do different design things and you can still make a mess. But um, you get this benefit of sometimes I'll go to repositories and I'll read the code and I feel like I've written that code. And if you think about like contributing to other projects, that that takes a weight off. That's a, a, a great kind of uh, property to have. Oh, yeah. It's like prettier. I really like but- tools like prettier. Prettier is also configurable though, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. But it's still, it's very small in what you can configure. And it's really nice having that. Like like you said, like I can go look at code and it looks like I wrote it. And I use that as a shorthand to write code because I know that I can write things as terse as possible and then hit save and Prettier just takes care of it for me. And mm. it looks nice, right? which yeah. I really like. But kind of to that, we are kind of in a, round, a very roundabout way getting that in JavaScript uh, sort of uh, through Dino. Like Dino has a fumpt command as well that allows you to do that in a built-in way where you don't bring in any external dependencies, which is nice. pretty cool. I don't think you could add it to Node at this point, but it is pretty cool seeing that in a fresh project like Dino. Yeah. Mm. You also said fumpt instead of I, like FMT or whatever, so that you get points from the Go community from that. Oh, I'll no. make sure they send them over. No, it's okay. No, well, it's not going to hurt no, your thanks. reputation. 
have an idea for an awesome uh, fork. I think we should fork the Go project and just yeah. keep it, track it identically to everything that goes in, except for change the tabs to spaces on GoFund. <laughs> and then you got me. I'm there with you. Yeah. We'll call you, it stop. You can change the width of a tab, you know. I don't think you can change the widths of spaces. I don't yet. want to. I want to look like the way I wrote it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That's an unpopular opinion right there. Um, we're running short on time. I'll just do mine really fast. I think software developers spend too much time on Twitter. And that's <laughs> my unpopular opinion, <laughs> and myself included. Mm. I also think we write too much on Twitter. Uh, I've seen too many blog posts that are tweet storms and don't exist anywhere else. That basically goes into the ephemera and disappears, or Twitter gets your Google juice in eternity or whatever. So... I'm cool with like the one-offs and the jokes and all that, but if you're going to write a blog post, write it on your blog, and then maybe tweet some quotes out of it and get the socials going around there. Just don't, don't write for Twitter for free, because you should write for yourself. I look forward to hearing you continue on with this on Clubhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Follow me on Clubhouse. But actually, I do spend too much time on Twitter, um, and like I get, I find myself getting addicted to. Um, checking the notifications sometimes as well, which is a common problem. Uh, to the point it got bad, I almost had to discus my phone into the into the Thames. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And I would have, you know, the discus, the Olympic yeah. thing. I would have done it with a spin and everything. I'd Because it's, you know, it's an expensive phone. It deserves, right. it deserves a good send-off. Some pomp and circumstance. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, if you ever do that, videotape it with your, with your other phone. phone. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't know how to video things once you've thrown your phone. I could live stream it because for a while it'll it'd still keep streaming, wouldn't it? There as it's go. descending. Then you can go back and watch it and get the yeah, the video will already have yeah. been streamed up to the Yeah to YouTube where they take your value and give it to people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's really quickly do shout outs. Make it fast, guys. I will quickly do a shout out to freecodecamp.org. Y'all probably know about FreeCodeCamp. It's an awesome place to send people where they can learn. All sorts of programming skills. And the reason why I'm shouting Quincy and the team out right now, they are doing a new uh, data science curriculum. So there's a pledge drive going on, and it's going on this month. And it's for creating an awesome, really robust uh, data science curriculum. It's being matched right now by a Daryl Silver has agreed to match uh, up to $150,000 raised. So every dollar you put in turns into $2. So shout out, shout out to Quincy and the Free Code Camp team. They're doing awesome work. I used to have to hem and haw when people ask me how they get started, um, self-taught style in this industry. And now I just send them to freecodecamp.org and say, like, come back to me after you've spent a few hundred hours, you know, going through this content and and doing those things. So it's an awesome resource, and no doubt that data science curriculum will be a huge resource. It's all free. It's all available once it's out there for anybody to, you know, get those skills. So shout out to Free Code Camp. Nick, shout outs. Yeah, I will shout out Sean Wang on Twitter, or on Twitter he's known as Swix. His whole learning in public mantra is really cool, and I've learned a lot from like blog posts and things that he's been putting out uh, as I kind of look into building different things, uh, doing things more in public, kind of thinking about that. It's, it's just really cool, and I, I like that he shares so much and is very open about that. So, yeah, Swix. Awesome. Okay, ball. I'm going to shout out the VIT project, uh, V-I-T-E. I just learned it was pronounced VIT, which is French for fast. Uh, mm. This is a project that 
uh, Evan Yu, the founder or the original creator of Vue.js, um, was working on. I thought for a long time it was just doing fun stuff, uh, you know, a static site builder in Vue or whatever, but it has turned into a generic uh, front-end build setup or web tooling build setup. It uses ES modules native. It's super fast. Uh, there's Vue plugin, which was the original, but now there's a React plugin and various other things. So it's a very cool new project, and I'm shouting it out because he could have just made this particularly for Vue, but he ended up generalizing it and making it available for everyone. So like the Chrome improvements, it's improving the web for everyone. Awesome. Last but not least, Matt, shout out. Yes, um, I found this great project. There's there's a person doing some great work on left padding strings. So it's called left pad. And basically, (laughs) if you need a string to be like, look like it's over on the right, I remember that because that's counterintuitive. You know, you're padding on the left. That's important. Um, you don't have to write that yourself now. And so you're going to save a lot of time for a lot of us. I think we should all pop that in the old dependency tree. No props. You go developers are on the bleeding edge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was either going to do that one. I'm not, I, don't, I haven't been really keeping up with, uh, with it. There's another one called jQuery, which I thought was quite <laughs> interesting. Really interesting little project. But maybe we'll do that one next time. Well, you assume too much, Matt, because uh, you're never coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Says the dictator. But we appreciate you being here this time because we needed some royalty-free music. And so now that we've got what we want out of you, we will see you on Go Time. I just want to say I'm not royalty-free. I still have a monarch in the UK, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to get into that, but um, yeah. You, well, you you sorted it out, didn't you, ages ago? We can chat about it on Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, we have our own problems now. <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you, Jared. How do we end the show? Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Nick, thanks for always being here. And K-Ball, appreciate you. That's Jazz Party for this week. We'll talk to you next time. If you thought Matt's jingles sounded just a little bit too good to be live, well, we did spruce them up just a tad before publishing. But you can hear and watch exactly what Matt came up with on the spot on the YouTube video of our live recording. I'll put a link in the show notes to it for those interested. And if you enjoyed Matt as much as we did, maybe give GoTime a listen. I don't write a lick of Go, and I still get a lot out of the podcast. Head to GoTime.fm or just search for GoTime in your favorite podcast app. You'll find it. Music for JS Party is provided by Breakmaster Cylinder, and we're brought to you by awesome people at Companies Who Get It. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. Next up on the pod, Florian Schultz and Will Bamberg from Open Web Docs join Nick and K-Ball. That should be a good one, so stay tuned for it. Hit your podcast feed next week. watching uh, basketball last night which is an american sport where people try to throw around ball into a hoop that's for matt and nick they're running around with baskets uh something like that and the miami heat yeah. have multicolored jerseys where like the right side is pink and the left side is blue they're both like neon eh, not quite neon but bright and they mm. fade into each other it's very strange it's kind of interesting so like as they run down the court one way they're 
it looks like they're wearing pink. And as I run back the other way, it looks like they're wearing blue. It's really confusing. Are they doing that? To, is, it, is it like a camouflage? We call that a gradient. Yeah. What would the? Could you describe it using CSS gradient so we can get an idea for what that looks like, Jared? Yeah. So it's about uh, 243, comma, 375, comma. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were going to do it in Tailwind classes. Oh, From yeah. grade 300. <laughs> I haven't learned Tailwind yet, so I couldn't do that. Oh, it's great. Nor have I learned RGB, so I couldn't do that either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys ready for segment two? The TIL? TIL. All right. Matt, are you ready to come up with a uh, <laughs> jingle for us? <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll do it. Okay, let's do it. Do you want to do it? Oh, you can ask I'll cue. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll cue you up. Give 